0: Second Corinthians 9 is where we're going to be today as we wrap up our series called Foundation. So we've spent, this is the ninth week, we've spent three weeks in each section really articulating and describing not just what we believe our foundation is individually as believers, although that's a great part of it, but also what is our foundation corporately as a body and very specifically as Double Oak Community Church in Chelsea. What, what's, our, what's our foundation? What's our identity? What's that indelible thing that truly describes us? And it's this. We want to be people who believe the gospel is everything. That in this place, there's a culture that reflects the love, the grace, the mercy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we spent, spent three weeks talking about what it means to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To truly trust, to truly repent and believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That gospel, that good news. Then we spent several weeks talking about what it means to live in the reality of the gospel. That we now have community with one another because we have union with God in Christ by the Spirit. And the last couple weeks, we've been talking about what it means to live out the gospel. These are the three things that, that, that are, that are, that are going to mark us as a church. Believing in the gospel, living in the gospel, living out the gospel. So in the past couple weeks, we've talked about serving one another inside the church, truly with our time, with our energy, with our gifts, looking for ways to serve. Last week, we talked about really how we live out the gospel before the world, and the reality that the scriptures teach us that while quite often we want to do these big things, that it actually is the quiet life of continual faith and continual care and continual love and faithfulness and ministry to, to faithfulness to God and ministry to those around us in practical and simple and communal and familial and neighborly ways that the world comes to know Jesus. Today is money. Money sermon, right? We pumped about this? All right. Yeah. This is very reluctant. All right. Uh, this is not, it doesn't seem like this is a shout out your praise moment. Um, But look, here's what we're talking about today. We're looking at a passage in 2 Corinthians, which I really believe in the whole of the New Testament is going to provide this holistic picture of what it means to live out the gospel as we give from our resources and the blessings with which God has given us. And look, quite often this is taboo. It's a hard thing to walk into. It's a hard thing to talk about. We don't like to talk about money with other people, especially that aren't our family. A lot of us have even walked through seasons where we didn't want to talk about money in our family, right? And didn't talk about money in our family. This is a challenging thing to talk about. But I think today it's going to be really powerful. Nothing to do with me, but this scripture, this passage is so beautiful. And there's gospel, love, love, and life, and grace, and mercy, and benefit that I believe God is going to work into our heart to cause us to desire to give. It's really, really exciting. I want to read this passage to you. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6-12. through Let's read it together. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-12. Paul writes and says this, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. To God, This is the word of the Lord to which we say, thanks be to God. Um, I, I think one of the incredible things that's happening in this moment is Paul is describing that things don't just happen. Um, I think often I live in a world where in most environments I'm in, I take some things for granted, that they just happen. Um, I want to tell you about something that happened to me last Wednesday that I didn't expect. Um, During our dinner and and, uh, discipleship time, I ended up in my office having a conversation with somebody who's a part of our church uh, that I deeply love. And his family just walking through a challenging season. Um, and, and I got the opportunity to, to talk with him, to pray with him, to hopefully offer some godly counsel and wisdom. Um, but, but to just, just spend time with a brother and quite frankly, just weeping with those who weep in a very Romans 12 kind of way. And yet at the same time, um, I hear through our walls, I love our walls, but they're a little thin. All right. <laughs> um, I hear all these children really shouting, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Ephesians 4, 32, they're shouting these words. And so in one sense, I'm weeping. And yet in another sense, I'm hearing not only my daughter, but all these children in our church with their beautiful little voices talk about this profound idea of caring for one another forgiving one another as God's forgiven us. And I find myself in two places at once. I'm rejoicing with, with those who are rejoicing, and I'm weeping with somebody who's weeping. One of the most powerful things about that moment for me was realizing that, one, I didn't know that it was going to happen, and two, that I'm not usually over there, so I don't usually hear children shouting out verses from Ephesians. And quite often I know they're there, but I don't always realize what's happening. And then it takes intentionality and effort and care and love and monetary gifts and offerings in order to make that happen. There's ministry happening inside the walls of these churches right now that's not in this room. It's happening. Kim Jones is loving preschoolers, telling the gospel. And right now they're worshiping and they're singing songs, our preschoolers. Ben's doing the same thing, just like he did here this morning. They're having a time of worship right now. Hunter and Sam Self led led, our led students this morning in discipleship. We've got men's, men's ministry, women's ministry, all kinds of things that are happening throughout the context of our church missions, care, hospitality, all of these things. And quite frankly, we think they just happen. I walked through a long season in life where I thought stuff just happened when I was young because I would do this thing where I would try to go to bed without turning the lights off or I would leave a room without turning the lights off. And I had a family member that would help me realize that those things don't just happen. Also, that those lights don't just come on. There's these people that you have to pay in order to get the light to be there. Those are practical things. There's so many practical things that happen in the life of our church that don't just happen. And I would implore you to, to we, take it, we all take it for granted, I take it for granted, but I would implore you to, to hear this morning and understand and to recognize that God is calling you to be a part of these things that are happening He's calling you to that. We're going to see that in this text. But here's the next thing. There is a deep joy in getting to be a part of what God is doing in the life of his people. It's incredible. We're going to get to see that this morning. Look at this text and look at verse 7. That's where we're going to start. Three things that we're going to talk about this morning with regard to giving. Really simple stuff. One, who is called to give? Who is called to give? The second... How are we called to give? How are we called to give? And the third and final thing is this. Why do we give? Why do we give? So who's called to give? How are we called to give? And why do we give? We're going to see the who in verse 7. Look at those first four words. Paul writes and says, Each one must give. It sounds simple enough But here's the reality that we're drawn to. We are all a part of giving. And this works in two ways. It's a do du, or there's a duality of this principle of giving that it's not just an individual, but it's corporate. Remember when we looked at Colossians chapter three, beginning of verse 12, this, this idea of putting on the new self that Paul describes to the church of Colossae, he's talking about putting on the new self. And when you read that heading in Colossians three, put on the new self, you and I naturally think, oh, well, that's an individual thing. Like that's, Michael's called, I'm called to put on the new self personally, but the reality of what that passage is describing is Paul's describing the body of Christ, and this is something that is a corporate endeavor. Worshiping God is something that we do corporately together, and giving is the same way. We're called to give together, but necessarily that means we can't give together if we don't give individually. This sounds like simple stuff, um, but quite often I, I know you because I am you and you've sat here in this service or a number of worship service in your life and says, that's really cool. Whoever he's preaching to, but I don't think it's me. That's that you that's been you. But here's the reality. I know that because I read these texts every week and there are weeks when I sit in my office or at the coffee table or at the kitchen table and I'm like, Lord, this is really good for whoever you're preaching this to. (laughs) Turns out it's always me. (laughs) It is. It's me. And Paul is teaching this very simple principle that everyone is called to give. No one is excluded from this. Everyone is called to take part in the Christian life of charity and of generosity. And one of the very practical ways that that's expressed, one of the ways the gospel is lived out, is truly to give to ministry and those in need. We're going to see that more in a couple of moments. Here's the second thing, how we give. And hang in at this moment because this is one of the most I think, challenging things to think through as we talk about what it means to live out the gospel, especially with regard to giving. Paul writes, he says this, each one must give. And then he he qualifies how this giving really takes place. How this giving takes place. He says this, as he has decided in his heart. As he has decided in his heart. Now, I want you to think about that. That's a really unique phrase. Paul doesn't say each one is called to give a percentage. Each one is called to meet this standard. Each one is called to give fill in the blank. It's actually... A real work of the spirit that takes place within a person when he says this. Because when he says, as he's decided in his heart, Paul is signaling that giving is not a matter of a simple standard or percentage, but it's about careful thought and deliberation. Really thinking about what we give. That word there, decided, here's what it means. It means purposing in one's heart. It means with deep intent. And I would go on record and say that I think with regard to giving, this is one of the areas as as believers where we really struggle to really think and to really seek the heart of the Lord and how he would call us to give. I think a number of us have lived the Christian life, and we have lived out of a tradition that says, well, we give 10%. That's what faithfulness is. And my first question to that would be, all right, is it gross or net? Because that's a real question. Like, is this 10% of, of everything, or is this 10% of after after we're taxed, right? And the bigger question, and perhaps a better question, is is it really 10%? Is it really 10%? Um I want to share some things with you this morning that uh, if you know me, you've heard some of these things before. uh, But I want to share with you what I believe is truly scripture and not just a tradition that I think we've carried over and adopted from a long lineage of being a part of the church. A number of these things are 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 really compiled by this incredible theologian, uh, a gentleman named Thomas Schreiner. Uh, and he's at Southern uh, Seminary in Louisville. Brilliant. And, 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 and look, I, I believe these things apart from what he's written, but he puts it together in the most succinct way that I think is really, really helpful. He describes giving across the canon of Scripture to where you and I find ourselves today. And here's what he says. Um, some reasons why tithing is perhaps not the most helpful way of understanding how we're called to give. You might say, that sounds like a really weird statement. And why are you saying that? Because we don't have any prescription in the New Testament. There's no directive. There's no imperative to give 10%. And I want you to think for a moment, like really deliberately think about why in your life you've thought, hey, that's the way to do it. And if you're anything like me. You're probably going to say, well, that's what everybody I've known has done, right? That's the tradition I came from. And also, that's what the Bible says. And what I would say to that is that, number one, believers, we're not under the Mosaic covenant. We're under a new covenant in Jesus We're under a new covenant. Go read Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Galatians 3. Look at Flip back where you are right now in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, specifically verses 4 through 18. And you're going to see the beauty of the new covenant. Historically, if you look back through the scripture, you're also going to see that tithes were given to Levites and priests. But here's the reality. There's no Levites and priests. Who are the priests? All of us. We're a royal priesthood. That's what Peter writes. That's who we are. Here's the next thing. The tithe is tied to the land Israel received in the Old Covenant. The giving was truly of the land of Israel, and that's something that you and I, frankly, are not capable of doing. That was for a very specific people and the Jewish nation, the people of Israel, to give tithes that that go to Jerusalem. But now we have a new Jerusalem that we look toward in the New Covenant, the Jerusalem that is to come. Here's the next thing. Um, Tithing, we think of as 10%, but this is the reality. You look into the scriptures of the Old Testament, and you're going to see 12 to 14, this is highly debated, 12 to 14 different tithing portions. And I don't mean scriptures, I mean different tithes that were given. We do know mathematically that the reality is this is much closer to 20%, and perhaps over, probably in the 22.5% range, If we're getting like really down to the nitty gritty, then 10%. So I would offer, in one sense, that we're already doing it wrong anyway. (laughs) And I mean that. I mean mean it like it's funny, but I mean it seriously. Here's the other thing. Now, we stated this, but nowhere is tithing mentioned when commands to give generously are found in the New Testament. And look, this is not to to rock anybody's boat. But the goal is for us to be faithful, to have fidelity toward the truth of what the Scriptures teach, rather than just tradition. Now, here's another thing I would say. For a number of us, giving generously looks like 10%. And that is fantastic. That's a wonderful thing. But I wonder, and I think about how much... I've missed out on with regard to worshiping the Lord, because for seasons of my life, I've just said, this is it. It's this percentage, it's this number, and I write the check, and I'm done, right? That's it. But there's been no contemplation. There's been no deciding in my heart. There's been no purposing with intent, genuinely, to contemplate, to meditate on, to think on, what is God calling me to? And here's the beauty and the reality of giving generously. Quite often, it's going to look like more than 10%. It really will for a number of us. That's what what it'll look like. But I want you to have the encouragement and the freedom to recognize that I really believe if we're interpreting the Scriptures well, that we're going to see the call in the New Testament is not a percentage, it's a principle. And the principle is this, give generously, give graciously, give abundantly as God has given to you abundantly in Christ. All riches, all things. Look, we're, so, we're commanded to support those who preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Um, and While we're called to to enjoy and celebrate the good things God gives us we're also called to support the needy and Paul's talking about both of these things in this passage he's talking about supporting those who are ministering who are sharing the gospel and yet also supporting the needs of those who are, are living in, in many ways, abject poverty. So if you read back up to verses uh, 1 through 5 of chapter 9, he's talking about these Macedonians, these people that are in Jerusalem, these people that have a deep need, this church that, that has really serious physical needs. And he's talking to the, the believers at Corinth and saying, hey, you know you've said that you wanted to give to them. So now I'm calling you to task, to give, but even as he does this, even as he does this, he says, I don't want to exact this upon you. I'm not going to make you do this or force your hand. Instead, let this be a free gift of grace you give to these brothers and sisters in need. All along the way, the principle is gospel grace. That's the motivation of, that's the heart of, that's the impetus for all of our giving. And then he describes these two ways not to give. He says, reluctantly or under compulsion. The first thing, reluctantly. That word really means pain or sorrow. And then compulsion means outward pressure. It really means a pressing in upon, an oppressing force that would cause you to do something. And Paul says this is not how we're called to give. We don't give out of guilt and shame. We don't give because we're hoarding things or or we're, we're scared of giving because there are things that we need. Instead, He says, no, all of your provision is met in Christ. So now you have the freedom to give graciously. And you get to think about, you get to meditate on, you get to pray about, you get to ask the Lord, Lord, what are you calling me to give? I wonder if we're doing this consistently. Because I know you and I, we talk with one another about things that we're praying for. And we talk about needs with one another. And we do that in community, we do it with our spouses, we do it with family, we do it with friends. We even talk about reading the scriptures together. We talk about people we're struggling to share the gospel with and our fear in doing so. Or we're talking about successes and where God has met needs and and, and seen people grown. But how often are we talking with either someone in our community or our spouse about... What's God calling me to give? How could God call me to give sacrificially? Now, I know this is happening in our church. I look out and I know, and I want God to affirm for so many of you that that this is happening. But I think the call for us is to really deliberately think about this and to participate in the opportunity for the Spirit to work on our heart and speak to us. Why? Why would we give? Look at verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Here's the place of doubt that we come to with giving. And it's ultimately this. I don't know that I can abound in this good work. I don't know that I can really do this. Like, if provision will be met, if I'll be okay if I do this, if I give this. But the beauty of the gospel is that this is not about us. It's not about us at all. Where does my righteousness come from? The things that I'm called to, how do I do these things? It's not in me. We sang it together, yet not I, but Christ through me. And how do we see that in this text? Look at what verse 8 says: that all grace abounds to us, all sufficiency, all things at all times. It's those things that empower our ability to give. How can I live out the gospel in giving? How can I get to a place where I live sacrificially, where I give more than than I than I thought I could give? That I could be at a place where our, our, our family or, or a friend of mine and community helped me see, hey, look, this is, this is an opportunity where you have to lean into this. And God's calling you to this. Have you ever met these people that are gifted with discernment and they just tell you stuff? Those are frustrating people, right? <laughs> Nobody? All right. I'm going to find you some discerning friends. People with discernment will come and say and say, "Look, I really believe I'm seeing the Lord would, would have you do this." And quite often it's a challenging thing. It's a good work that you might be fearful of or that you doubt that you can abound in. But you're a possessor of all grace at all things, at all times. And I think the key in there to see how that empowerment takes place is all sufficiency. God does all of this for you and I that we get the opportunity to abound in every good work. What does it look like? It looks like giving financially, sacrificially, generously, graciously in order that the gospel might be lived out. And Christ's love and mercy is put on display. Look at verse 9. Why we give, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Paul gives this picture from an Old Testament perspective, of a, a, a portion of the Psalms, in Psalm 111, and he really highlights the ministry that we're called to have in this verse. One, we're to meet the needs of others, we're to distribute needs to those who are in need, people that are poor. But that righteousness that's there, that expresses his covenant faithfulness to you and I. So he's also talking about the provision that he makes for the saints and for the word of the Lord to endure. Look at verse 11. It says this You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving. This is why we give. This is Genesis language. Look at the echo. You're going to be given every way to be generous. You've been given to, to give. What does that sound like? Remember Genesis 12? and God calls Abraham. He not only says, I will bless you, but what does he say? I bless you to be a blessing. I'll bless you and your people. I'll bless those who bless you. And there's this guy, Walter Brueggemann, who's who's a theologian that talks about this. and And it's really, really poignant. He talks about all these eyes that God gives there. I will bless you. I will bless your people. I will bless you to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Do you know what he's doing in that moment? That I, 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 I? He is redeeming. He's pushing back against the self-assertion that we've made where we went, we're, we're people, we're garden people who with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil have said, I'll do this. I'll take this. I'll be a taker. And God says, no, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all those around you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. And I'm going to bless you so much that you'll be a blessing to generations. You're not a taker anymore if you're in Christ. You're a giver. That's who you are. That's who you are now. And you and I get the freedom. We get the opportunity not to give not to give reluctantly. And not to give out of compulsion. But to give because God is so freely given to us. Here's like one of my favorite things about this passage and about the opportunity to share this with you today. is not because our church doesn't need money. We do. All of these things that happen, that, that ministry I experienced Wednesday night and hearing children sing, that happening, that's because there's deep intentionality, there's care, and there's goldfish, right? And, and cookies that are void of taste, but things... These things that that happen don't just happen. They happen because we participate in. We get the opportunity to live out the gospel in our generous giving. But I get to share these things with you not because we're in this place where we got to hit you up for money because it's a hard season. God has been so richly faithful to our church. It's been astounding to see God... And it's God, it's not... God is through your faithfulness and your generosity and what God is doing in your heart by the work of His Spirit, God is faithfully providing for not only people to, to minister the gospel, but all the resources that we need to do ministry well. So we get to share this with you not because we're begging to, for, for you to keep the lights on. We get to share this with you because God's call is you get to take part in something as beautiful that's keeping the lights on. It's order. It glorifies him. It's beautiful, particularly at night. It's challenging to be in this building at night with no lights. It really is. It's tough to see in front of your face, probably the same way in your home, too. It may might feel like the holiest work to think, you know, like a, like, I, think, I think I was like light bill guy this month. God's glorified in that. It's an incredible thing we get to take part in all the things that happen in this place. It's an amazing amazing thing. Look at the last thing, verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. This is why we give. Here's the reality. Two things are happening here. The needs of the church is being met. And through that, there's this overflowing, this incredible demonstration of, this display of thanksgiving to God. Do you know what that looks like? That looks like people recognizing the beauty of Christ. It's the beauty of the gospel. To see that in my giving, people are thrust into thankfulness. And the recognition of all God has done. That's an amazing thing. I would share with you a couple things about how we can can walk out of this passage together today with some real practical ways of seeking to pursue the Lord with more faithfulness and a pure heart. And they would be this. I think we all have a lingering question, typically. Surrounding this, and the question is this: How much should I give? How much should I give that 's not a bad question it 's really not. but I think there's a better question. And the better question is this: How can I not give? How can I not give to the ministry? of the church? How can I not give to people who are in need? How can I not give to a missionary who's going to share the gospel? How can I give to a ministry that is providing people with food or shelter or clothing? How can we not be a church who gives to Something like Alabama Childhood Food Solutions, where people are, are getting meals that don't have food. How could we not give to an organization like Love Life and Save Life, these are organizations that work together so powerfully to protect the life of the unborn? How could we not give to Blanket Fort Hope and, and help protect people who have been, who've been abused in physical and harmful ways? How can we not give to ministries like Songs of the Night? People that are are widowed and are seeking to trust the Lord in in, in their loneliness. How can we not give to these ministries? How can we not give to opportunities where our kids are taught to sing the very words of Scripture? And how do we get to a place where we know what that giving looks like? For us, I think the challenge is for us to, to talk to a friend in community, to talk to our accountability partner, to talk to our spouse. Like we got to talk about this this week. Like As we look at the text and we look at the scripture, we, our family has got to talk about how are we giving, what are we giving, what's the Lord doing in my heart? I really need to think on how I can more faithfully give. I think that question lies before us today as believers. And the exciting thing is God will do an incredible work in us, To see the gospel lived out in this process. It's a really, really beautiful thing. I think one of the other things that that is very practical for us to understand that we're drawn to in the text is the reality that for Paul to continue this ministry, there's a need for resources. They're practicals. And we ought to delight in behind the goldfish. Really, truly, right? I think they'll even let you have some if you mosey over to that side of the building. But little things, they're quiet. They're really small. This is kind of left hand doesn't know what your right hand's doing in so many ways, right? Nobody sees it. And I got to tell you that every day I walk into this place, I see it. I see a staff full of people that love Jesus and are pursuing this community and their neighbor. I see a group of pastors and people who who want people to understand that God loves them so much more than they can imagine, and that they're free to go live out the gospel. I see people spend time with students and with children and with preschoolers in intentional ways to help communicate the deepest truth of life, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And I watch us give to ministries that are so worthwhile with people that are transformed by the Spirit, living holy lives, doing holy work. And all of that doesn't just happen, but I get to watch it happen. And you do too. And I get to be a part of it with you. And you do too. This is amazing stuff. So as our worship team comes this morning, we prepare to close. Um, we spent weeks talking about what it means to believe in the gospel. What it means to live in the gospel and what it means to live out the gospel. As we round out this series uh, here's what I would truly by the way. Okay. here's what I would truly say. Um, give graciously. Give graciously. Give as God has given to you. Give not because you just should. give because all the riches of Christ are, are yours. Give graciously because you were once lost and now you're found. Give graciously because you once were dead and now you are alive. Give graciously because you had no thing to offer and now you have everything in Jesus. Give in that way so that ministry can go forth and people can experience and know truly believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Find life in this community and have the opportunity to live it out before others so that they can have that life as well. That ought to be our motivation to give. And I want to clearly and succinctly say that you may be a person that, that reads the scriptures in such a way where you believe that, hey, 10% is what I should give. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to hold firm on that. And Michael, I think I kind of disagree with you on that. And I would like plainly say before you that you and I can like, we can disagree on that and still have deep fellowship together. Truly. That we're going to be in a real rough spot if, if those of us don't believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus core tenant stuff but with this we can, we can be in a different spot but I just as your pastor and as somebody who deeply loves you I would encourage you to look through the New Testament and in, in, with, with, in conjunction with the Old Testament and recognize and see that in this new covenant God has given us we're called to give graciously we're called to give generously and quite frankly I, I really believe it's going to not only satisfy more than what we typically consider a tithe but God will be deeply honored. And this morning, the call as we respond is to take a moment and pray together. And I would hope that you'll commit, as as I will this morning, to really be deliberate in my thoughts about how I'm going to give in order that God might grow his kingdom. And I get to be a part of seeing that come to fruition with you. So as we respond, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you called us to live out the gospel. We've experienced life in you and now we get the opportunity to put your love on display by serving one another, by sharing the gospel with our neighbors. And God, this passage gives us the opportunity to see that we're called to not only meet the needs of those who preach the gospel to meet the needs of the church, but also the needs of the poor, the needs of those who have real practical needs. God, by your spirit, would you transform our hearts and cultivate us to be people who are generous, who long to give graciously as you've so graciously given to us. Father, you've so graciously given to us that you didn't spare your only son. May we contemplate, reflect, and deliberately decide in our hearts to give you what's already yours give you what's already yours as we trust you more and more. In Christ's name, amen.